You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody. Do you smell that? I can smell it. I can really smell it. It smells really good. It's a cold front. It's coming through. And I, and I cannot wait for Thursday. Dude, if everything goes right, I will be in a tree stand on Thursday night where there's going to be, I want to say, a 20-ish degree temperature drop from the previous day. It's going to go from like 65 to 45. Like right now, there's all these storms. I'm recording this on a Tuesday night. But all these storms are coming through, right? We've had rain for the last, I think, like 17 days off and on. And uh, the jet stream has been right over top of Iowa. We're getting a lot of rain, a lot of flooding. Finally, all that weather is going to be pushed out. And we're going to be left with like this four-day long cold front. High pressure is going to move in Thursday. It's going to stick around Friday, a little bit Saturday, and then the wind's going to shift back to the, on the south, I believe, on Sunday morning. Um, but we're going to have all this great weather for a handful of days. And I know it's late or it's early season. And a lot of people don't like to hunt early season. I'm going in full bore. Dude, from what I've seen in the past, going in coming out the deer still have to eat they're coming back to their beds this this cool weather has got them on their feet and they're going to be eating more and my thought is that they're going to be eating later into the morning so I'm going to try to sneak in downwind to some bedding areas with some really good access routes and I'm going to start the hunt for a target buck starting Thursday and uh, I'm going to bounce around up here for a little bit then I'm probably going to go back to my main farm and I'm really going to try to uh, get it done on this 
on this weekend. I mean, I'm going to go for it. My goal is to always kill a deer as much as, you know, as early as possible. That way, the goal is to potentially go to Nebraska for an over-the-counter hunt on some uh, ground that I have access to over there. So it'd be nice, but I just want to focus on one thing at a time, and that's getting out and just enjoying not being in a cubicle, enjoying disconnecting from all these electronics uh, and all this craziness that we have every single day in our lives and I don't know about you but I want to get away from that and I want to sit in a tree and I want to listen to birds chirp and deer run around and I want to try to shoot a giant buck so there's that now on today's podcast we're going to be talking to the author of a book And the name of that book is called The Hunter's Way, A Guide to the Heart and Soul of Hunting. And today we're going to be talking with the author, Craig Raleigh. And he is also a senior writer for the Wide Open Spaces website. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that as well. And today we talk about the ins and outs of his book. It's a really cool, it's a really cool book, although I haven't got the opportunity to read the whole thing yet. We talk about him as a hunter, how he got into hunting, um, how he just, just everything from top to bottom hunting, and then how he feels about it. And that's one thing that it's, it's like a double-edged sword for me, because although I am a huge fan of people expressing how they feel about the outdoors, right? We all have this passion about it. Uh, everybody has their own way of expressing it. And I, I'm still in search for one, for someone to explain the outdoors and specifically hunting the way I see it. But it's always cool to see how uh, someone else views hunting and they're passionate about it. So uh, we have, uh, Craig and I have a really cool conversation. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast and you can, um, you can find out where to get his book and, uh, Take a look at it, read read up on it, and maybe it's something you might uh, want to pick up. But before we get into the, to today's podcast, man, we got to talk about prime archery. And guys, I love the logic. And if you haven't had the opportunity to shoot, and I say this about all the podcast, all the uh, all the the products that I talk about, go shoot it. If you don't like it, don't buy it. But it's going to be hard for you not to like it. It's one of those bows where, for me, especially with the dual cams, on two cams on the top, two cam cams on the bottom, I feel it helps prevent torque in the bow. And it's a more forgiving bow, which means you're going to be more accurate. And when you're more accurate, that means you're going to be more successful on shooting big, giant Boone and Crockett bucks. Okay, that was an overstatement, but... You know what I mean? When you feel comfortable shooting your gear, you feel confident. And when you feel confident, you're more successful. That's the way I feel. So if you, if you haven't yet had the opportunity, uh, to shoot a prime bow, uh, I have the logic, huge fan of it. Go check out prime archery products at G five prime.com. All right, on today's podcast, I am joined by the author of The Hunter's Way, A Guide to the Heart and Soul of Hunting, Mr. Craig Riley. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing, Dan? Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking time to hop on the podcast today. Now, I got an email from someone and said, hey, man, uh, 
there's this new book out and uh, it's almost like kind of like a press tour, right? You're, you're hopping on different uh, uh, places and talking a little bit about your book. And I always like to have authors on because it's, it's, uh, it's a profession that I don't often get to ask questions to on, on this particular podcast. And uh, we're going to get to the book uh, here in a second. But what I want to do is kind of just start from the very beginning and talk a little bit about how you yourself what were, how you were introduced to hunting, right? And I think that's where we'll start. But before we even get to that, uh, why don't you tell, tell us about where you're from and uh, is being an author what you do full time? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm from uh, the western part of New York State. I live between the cities of Rochester and Buffalo, and uh, in the <clears throat> actually the far western half of Monroe County. And uh, it's pretty rural out here, and it's it's real good deer territory. You know, we've got turkeys out here, pheasants, etc. Uh, and I grew up in this area. I, I've lived across the U.S. in different places, but I grew up here and. This is, uh, you know, this is where I came back to. Gotcha. So you've, where did you bounce around? I mean, did you always live in New York or did you bounce around and explore other places and live other places and then just kind of found your way back home? Yeah, that's exactly right, Dan. I, I uh, as, a, as a young man looking for something, who knows what, uh, I ambled all the way down. I lived in uh, Tempe, Arizona for a while. And uh, <clears throat> from there, I went to Nashville, Tennessee. And I actually lived right on the outskirts of the city. Uh, oh, probably around 1981 or 1982. It was in the winter, so it was kind of nice because it, it was pretty decent there. And uh, that was one of the first places I ever caught a striped bass. It was in the Cumberland River right outside the city. And... Uh, other than that, you know, other than living in the in and around New York, uh, I've lived most of my life uh, right here in uh, Western New York. Gotcha. Okay. So, has hunting and fishing in the outdoors always been a part of your life, or is this something that uh, came on later in life? Hunting and fishing have been a part of my life since I was a little boy. I, particularly, you know, we started. Uh, uh, fishing with my father and grandfather, you know, I'm barely old enough to even remember. Luckily, even in those days, we're talking about, okay, you ready? I'm going to date myself. We're talking about, about the mid to late 1960s. And, uh, they actually, my folks have some pictures from those days. Uh, I have pictures of my grandmother holding up big, huge pike and my grandfather, and my father holding up big pike and, uh, me holding up some sunfish and some other kind of brim and them kind of things. And that was all fun. And uh, from there, uh, it went to uh, listen to my dad talk about tales of uh, pheasant hunting on his way into work. You know, in those days, uh, you, you can't jump out of the car anymore with a shotgun and try to chase game. You're going to get arrested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, in those days, you know, it wasn't so unheard of that a couple of fellas put the unloaded, of course, shotguns in the trunk and if they saw something on the way they might hop out or maybe on the way home and uh, those are the kind of stories that got me going uh to, to just to uh parlay the main part of the 
thing for me, which I wrote into the book, is the first time I ever got to go on a deer hunt was when I was about 10 years old in the early 70s, and I went with my uncle and my grandfather. And uh, just being there was enough. Uh, the success came later in life, though, obviously. Right, absolutely. So it's kind of funny you mentioned that because, um, oh, this was several years ago when I was like uh, – an official member of a church, uh, one of the guys who taught the youth, uh, the youth group there would tell us stories about how, when he was a kid, he would ride around the, the town and he would have a gun on his bike and they would park the guns and they would walk into the grocery stores with their guns, you know, whether they were loaded or not, I don't know, but he would just, you know, like a society back then where, okay, yeah, these boys aren't going to be doing anything bad. They're, they're, they're hunting. Right. And I, I listened to him tell that I'm like, there's no way you could do stuff like that today. Boy, isn't that the truth? And I sure wish that we could, because you could really make some responsible youth out there. I know you and I, I hope I shouldn't try to put words in your mouth. I hope we're of the same ilk where, uh, you know, the younger they start, the better they're going to be. You know, learn to respect them, learn what they can do, what they can't do. Uh, is it loaded? Is it unloaded? Et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, those are days gone by, aren't they? I sure wish they'd come back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I completely agree with the responsibility part of it uh, and, you know, teach them young. And that goes for, obviously, a lot of things in the hunting and fishing community. So. Of course. Absolutely. I agree. All right. So now in this, so all, all this entire life, right. Um, has kind of led you to, uh, I mean, I guess you're just, you're very passionate about hunting and fishing in the outdoors in general, the hunter's way, this book that you've, that's coming out. Is this your first book? This is the first book that I have an official publisher backing okay i have two self-published books that are in my uh, local bookstore here in town and uh, uh you know anybody can do that and they're they are very outdoors driven books and their stories of hunting and fishing but this one is the full backing of harper collins and their uh <clears throat> subsidiary day street books so that, that's a, that's a big uh feather in the cap for me and i can't thank them enough cool all right so with this being your first book, right? When you, I want to talk to you a little bit about the moment that all of a sudden you're like, well, I want to write a book and I want it to be about my love for the outdoors, hunting and fishing, because I open up the inside cover and the first couple words are in this love letter to hunting and outdoor appreciation. So what did you mean by that? Or what, what, what do they mean by this is a love letter to hunting? Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give uh, credit to that, to the uh, powers that be that uh, put that on the jacket cover. I, I want to say it was probably my editor, the editor, the uh, venerable Matt Dodonna. I'm not positive, but uh, I couldn't agree with it more. Uh, I, I felt that way for a long time. And I think the main thing that it means is uh hunters we're not just out there to it's not all about the kill which uh is part of this book it's about 
the love affair we have with the outdoors. It's there's so much more goes into our hunt than taking the shot and dragging back our prize. It's about uh, the the summers that we spent waiting to do it and what we think about, how we practice and put our time in, how we uh, what we think about when we see uh, a bunch of mallards on the lake. And but it's uh, July or August, uh, you know, how we uh, we see a, a bird fly by us like that and we uh, take the shot in our mind. And this is why we love it. This is why it's a love letter. It's uh, about what we see and think and feel out there when we're really doing it because so much of our time is spent uh, in a tree or in a blind or some kind of stand and nothing's happening. We have our own thoughts. It's time to disconnect from the technology and walk away from all that stuff. And uh, and this is why we love it so much because it gets us away from all that. Right, right. So is this kind of an observation that you saw in the current or I know in the recent hunting community or, or, or hunting industry? Uh, yes, I think so. What, what, what I wanted to do with this book was to, uh, I wanted, I wanted it to be as inclusive as possible because we have to understand that as uh, hunters and outdoorsmen that we're not the only lovers of mother nature out there. And I want the uh, people, I, I speak really only to the non-hunters, to see that uh, what what we do is a love affair. This is, uh, you know, how we, we learned it from our elders, from our grandparents and great-grandparents. And they taught it to us and, you know, set it down from generation to generation. And uh, I, I want it to be inclusive. I want everybody to see that, uh, to, hopefully to see us in a new light, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, another another interesting thing about this book, um, and I haven't been able to like read it cover to cover yet. But one thing that you you talk about is the the mythology of the hunter's ego. Why don't you explain to us a little bit about that? Because when I see hunter's ego, I I I think of a negative connotation, meaning someone is only out there to kill a big deer so they can post it on Instagram and say that they're better than everybody else. Oh yeah. And that, and that is a big part of it. One of the things I speak of or speak to, maybe I should say, and that's the very first chapter in the book, the mythology of the hunter's ego is, is how we, how we deal with our ego because guess what folks, we come back home with empty hands a lot more than we come back home with a full game bag or meat for the freezer. So you get what, what, what I wanted to speak to is, uh, you know, this is how you, this is how you take the ribbon. This is how you check your ego at the door. This is how you decide that when you go out, you might come back with nothing. And it's also about absolutely about how you deal with the success that you do have. There, there's uh, one of the things I speak to is uh, how each person, each hunter, man or woman, how they uh, deal with success and failure and how we all have great methods and uh, they all work pretty well. At least they work for us as individuals because that's the way we do things and how uh, if at some time that we can, uh, I'm rambling, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, how, how do you show that your way is the best 
to the other hunters because that's what we always want. That's that's how our ego works. We don't just want to say that we got the best deer, but that our method was the best way. Gotcha. So it's almost like, and this is kind of what my problem is with specific uh, parts of the hunting industry, is that the the animal or the harvest does not get the attention that it deserves because the attention is almost put on the hunter himself or herself where in my personal opinion that the all the attention needs to go on the the being that sacrificed its life so that we could either eat it or hang it on our wall yeah i'll tell you if you or your listeners could see me i'm i'm kind of walking around the room and i was had my uh, thumb up while you were saying all that uh, i recently wrote an op-ed that hasn't been published yet in the hands of my editor at HarperCollins, but I also wrote a uh, article for, uh, as you know, I'm a senior writer at WideOpenSpaces.com. It was called uh, "Why I Chose Now to Write a Hunting Book," and in that, I I, I tried to address that. Uh, what we need is more respect for the quarry. We need to have less of our ego involved in it. It's not a, it, it, too much of it is about the hunter and not enough about the animal. We, we, there's uh, too many publicly posted pictures that, you know, they aren't really well done. You know, uh, once, once we have our game in hand, they're not going anywhere. Take a minute, uh, set the scene a little better. Uh, you don't, you don't have to just take an immediate shot and throw it out there. It, it's more about, the animal and the life of it and how and what it meant to the earth before we took it and why we need more of them. And can we check our egos if science and the powers that be say that, okay, you know, maybe we need to take less of an animal or maybe just the males or the females. Things that are, these are obvious things to all hunters already, but we need to stop and check our egos at the door and say that, uh, you know, we can do better. It's, 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 it's not about us. It's about the hunt, which is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. Absolutely. And so if someone, if someone posts a picture on social media and I'm a hunter and I see it and I'm not going to be affected by it because I am still going to hunt the next year or the next day or whatever. But what kind of role does this ego or you know the the hunter's ego and what they're doing and what they're showing play in a role to the non-hunters. Uh, I, I think it, it's it can it can have a negative effect. What what we need, and this is why I talk about inclusion so much. What we need from the non-hunting community is uh, you know we need an ear. Lend us your ear. Lend us your eyes, and give us a chance to prove that what we do when we hunt is out of love and respect for animals and nature and not just so that we have something great to brag about. Yeah. I've hooted and hollered over a big buck or uh, maybe I doubled on mallards one time or a big rooster pheasant. But, you know, and also in my day, I couldn't immediately (laughs) post a picture on the social media. Well, what we need to do is, uh, you know, show that we have more respect than just uh, a smiling, grinning picture 
over the carcass and then just and instead of making the hunt important it makes the person who hunted important and we need to have everybody involved yeah yeah absolutely all right so i'm flipping through your book here and i read the first sentence of chapter three and that's titled conservation right and conservation may be the most overused and misunderstood word in our repertoire all right i agree with that what what do you mean by that for everybody else The issue for the non-hunting community, and even for some hunters, and this is just one man's opinion, by the way, I'm no expert, uh, is that it, how can we say, and this is right in the book there, I'm, kind of, I'm not looking at it, but I'm kind of quoting it. Right. How, how can we say that we're conserving anything when we intend to kill it and take it? Right. And what, what we need for... The, the rest of for all of the hunting community and the non-hunting community to realize is not just the expense in you know money and excise taxes and license fees and things that go to conservation, but uh, but the but the role that we play in it as well. Uh, the I think some of the part of the book that might not have made it into the final draft was basically I, I said some things like uh, uh, there are entities out there that uh i'm having a trouble thinking of the point i'm trying to make if if we as conservationists can find a way to show that the hunt is important and particularly in ways such as who gets out into the thickest part of the wild the wild in the wilderness other than maybe scientists and wildlife biologists but there's hunters who, who do we know to ask these things who, who do we have on the front lines of what's out there and right, obviously right. it's not only the hunters but who who goes through the deepest brush who climbs the mountain and and uh, follows the animals where they go and who, who were maybe some of the first people to say we need to conserve this like say teddy roosevelt who was a huge hunter and a tremendous conservationist. And, uh, and it was, of course, his quotes splashed everywhere and in my book as well. You know, wild animals continue to exist thanks to sportsmen. And I know that's not the correct quote, but it's close enough. Right. So in 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 today's society, I th- and this is my opinion on the word conservation, especially with the social media a lot of people say conservation, but don't actually mean it from a standpoint of, uh, and the thing that we hear all the time is, well, I, I, I buy my tags, I buy my license, you know, that money is going to the state or, you know, to help conserve the animal. So there, therefore I'm a conservationist. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a, there's there's more to it than that. I mean, because if we want to be honest, that the, you know there's many many in the non-hunting community and organizations that also you know put money towards conservation, and those monies go towards you know ECO conservation officers, and they go towards you know procuring lands and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, if if we want to uh, say that we're actually conserving something and uh, let me uh, let me ask you to uh, kind of repeat that question again let me uh, 
because I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Yeah, basically, just um, j- if just because you buy your tags and license, does that make you a conservationist? Right, and it, exactly. And as I said, it, it's more to it than that. What, what we need to do is we need to uh, uh, find ways to be conservationists in other ways that don't involve money. So, yes, it does mean we're conservationists, but no, not unless we get involved in, in it as in a community i mean you know let's go to some of the more venerable conservation uh sites there's there's something for everybody i kind of wrote that into the book as well there's uh you know pheasants forever ducks unlimited there's national wild turkey federation uh the elk foundation and uh excuse me if i didn't say that quite right um but uh and sure uh, money is plays a big part of it but what can we do and what can we do on a local level Right. If you want to call yourself a conservationist, then you, we need to put a little bit of elbow grease into it as well. I mean, I've been to seminars. That's fine. You know, we've planted some things. That's fine. I've, I've never really had much of my own land to do those kind of things. But if if, if we are to say our uh, – we need to put our money where our mouth is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just uh, talking the talk but walking the walk as well. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, and then, so the first, the first part of that book is, is a lot of that, that kind of talk. Uh, and then we start to get into the, uh, the, the, the second two thirds of the book and they're broken down what looks to be two, uh, categories. One is called the preparation, uh, and then the other one is called the harvest. So talk to us a little bit about what, part two, the preparation is all about. Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just one word. And of course, you know, you right away, you think of it in terms of, well, the bow hunters are going to go shoot their bow and uh, the gun hunters are going to shoot some clay targets or maybe, uh, get out on the range and hone in their scope. But, uh, preparation is also about, you know, what we were thinking about before the hunt, sometimes during, sometimes after, uh, the, the mysteries that we're trying to, uh, solve, uh, you know, did, did we, uh, how, how we scout and, uh, the things that we remembered from like when we were kids, uh, taking those long rides in the country. I don't know about you. My mom and dad, we used to love to take a Sunday rides. That was our entertainment. When we were kids, we would go out and waste a little gas in the old gas guzzler and uh, do that kind of thing. And uh, it's also it's also about uh, you know what do you do with your friends? What do you do with your hunting companions? How you uh, discuss what you're doing and where you're going? Uh, the 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 preparation is so much more than just the shooting and the getting ready. It's so much more than. Uh, uh, you know, going out and putting your stand up or checking it for safety reasons. It's it's also about putting your time in, which is also a uh, one of the chapters in that section. Putting your time in, of course, everybody knows that, and we all want to talk to it. We swear we do it. It never seems like enough. Uh, how much and putting time in is is meant over a lifetime as well, not just uh, as far as uh, you know, what you did this year. Right. Right. And that's, uh, one thing that kind of two parts here. One is 
everybody only shows, or I shouldn't say everybody, but a majority of the people only show the harvest portion of it. And I think that as, as a hunting community, we can learn so much more from the preparation side of things, which ultimately leads us to the harvest. Yes, exactly. And, uh, it's all, it's, so I don't forget, uh, watching, cause one of the chapters in that section is about how nature hunts and watching what, uh, wild animals do in any wild animals. And that could mean fish or turtles or snakes and how they, uh, go about, they have to hunt and eat every single day. You know, I, I I've written it into, uh, a couple of wide open spaces posts over the years, uh, if you and I, if we had to chase that cheeseburger down the street to eat lunch every day, we'd have a lot more respect for it. Right. And we'd, uh, we'd work a little harder to uh, make sure it doesn't get away the first time. Right. So, Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's, yeah. I tell you what, and I'm a huge advocate of that. Um, I get questions all the time uh, through email and social media of people asking me, you know, how to – you know, how should I kill this buck or how should, how do I become a better hunter? Or do you have any places you could point me to where I could learn more things? And I always think of how would, like, if you want to become a better hunter, and this is, this is specifically from a strategy standpoint, it's as if you need to hunt like a bobcat would hunt, like it's life depended on it. And as hunters, our life does not depend on whether or not we are successful in the timber, right? We, a majority of us do it for, um, yes, some people hunt for meat, but a majority of us do this for recreation. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, you know, the thing is, uh, it, it, it's that, that goes a long way towards, uh, helping us to, uh, respect what it is that we do and what we try to do. And, uh, you know, it gives us a, a better sense of accomplishment when it comes down, uh, you know, to the final shot, the final stroke. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the next, the next portion of this, uh, book, and I'll kind of just tell you what it is and then you can uh, talk to us about it is the hunt. What, what can readers like find out in the, this category or this section of the book called the hunt. Yeah, that part is separated into uh, four different chapters. And what it is, is the first chapter is called the most difficult game. And that was also one of the most difficult to write. And what it, what it involves is thoughts and leanings and assumptions about trophy hunting and you know it's it's almost like a four-letter word to hunters and non-hunters alike uh it's it's a difficult area to talk to but it has to be said and we can't avoid it right there are some animals out there that can and will be hunted and not necessarily for their meat and that's not to say that they don't hunt for me that's not to say that some man who or woman excuse me who uh got the grizzly bear not going to eat it you can eat that and that's fine uh sheep someday boy what a what a uh gold star that would be to, to get one of those but also i talked into that chapter about 
how difficult some of that stuff is to even procure. It's a once in a lifetime hunt tag for some people. And honestly, for many situations, when you're talking about trophy hunting and big game hunting, it's a, it's it can be a rich man's game. And is that inclusive to all hunters or is it only inclusive to some? Right. Right. And there's certain species and, uh, you know, sheep is, uh, sheep and uh, specific, I think certain goats are a are a perfect example of this, right? Because some of the places that these animals live, it is required to have a guide that costs money. The tags cost thousands of dollars, and you may get one crack at it. And I think it, there's an example in your book here where a man from Michigan spent one hundred thousand dollars to hunt bighorns in Montana on, uh, on an Indian reservation. So yeah. take that. Into, <laughs> I, I will never pay that much money to hunt any animal. And I'll tell you what, that one is a drop in the bucket because I think the record is a half a million, if I'm not mistaken, or close to it. Wow. Wow. So how do we, as, cause, cause obviously, um, this, this trophy hunting, right? big racks, big racks and big horns and antlers mean bragging rights in certain circles. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I really don't give a shit. I, I really feel that, um, it's rare. It's cool to talk about. Um, I'm going to do what I want to do as a hunter. I'm not taking into consideration what other people think I should do or what other people think of my harvest. I just, I, I think it's cool. Um, it's a great talking point, but if you can't like, if you can't talk about the story and all you're doing is talking about the end result again, now here we, you know, we're talking about that again. Uh, there's no point to it, but how do we as a hunting community get away from making this a rich man's game? Boy, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. There's for, for some of these things that we hunt that are hunted, these big game animals. Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. If you can do it, if the, if the science and the, uh, you know, wildlife management community agrees that some of these animals can safely be taken for their population and for their health, then so be it. I'm all for it by any means. Personally, I probably will never do it, and probably a lot of it will be because I just won't have the money to be able to do right. such a thing. So, so how do we, how do we, uh, you know, put that in perspective for the average hunter? Well, that's one of the reasons why I, I'm so interested in inclusion, and we want to, we we don't want to just we, reach like you particularly with you with this wonderful show you invited me to. You don't want to reach like a thousand or or a million or a couple million. Yeah, it'd be great. But there are maybe 11 to 12 million hunters. We want to reach them all. So how, how can someone who can't do these things and probably won't be able to, how can we include them? One of the ways, and this is what I stated in a couple of the articles I read recently is in writing, in photography. Let's, let's get back to what I had when I was a kid growing up. It was all about the wonderful pictures and the storyline and the history. And I could sit there and read. And I read these magazines over and over again. The, the uh, pages were folded back and they were beat up. And I couldn't wait for another issue to come. So uh, 
and this is what got people so excited in the beginning stories of let's say Teddy Roosevelt or maybe even Hemingway was amazing and and we we need more storytellers if we get some maybe some of the young folk coming up through the ranks especially the the, uh, ones in uh, college and university let's get the let's get their English degree going let's get their writing skills Let's let's get some into editing and and maybe and also photography. I know some wonderful photographers. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a difficult question to answer. Can it be inclusive? That's one way to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, which <laughs> is almost the complete opposite way of how society as a whole is trending. All we want right now is short 30 second clips and then we're off to the next thing. You know, I, I most of my podcasts or are about an hour long and to, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long and I don't know how many people have told me, "Hey man, shorten them up a little bit. No nobody's going to be listening to the entire, you know, I don't care what they think, but Everybody wants the real quick, you know, that's why pictures, you know, Instagram is so popular. Okay, look at the picture um, and then you go to the next one and the next one and the next one. How do you think that we can change that? Yeah, that's that's the issue. Like I said, it, it's uh, is it possible? I, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, we're so tuned into the uh, the hunting porn, the impact shots, the quick video. It's only 60 seconds or less, uh, and, and move on the, uh, you know, just a, a picture of a trophy with, with almost no story behind it. I can't tell you how many times I would, I would have loved to write an article for wide open spaces about, you know, a bruiser muley or a big buck, but really all there is, is, is a picture and a name. And, and that's great. And on social media, you got to be careful. You don't want to really put too much of your personal information out there. You don't even want to really know, let them know where you are. So is, is there a way to, uh, you know, in, be inclusive and, uh, you know, get ourselves away from this instant gratification? And, and in my mind, it's, it's the writer that needs to do that. We need to have, we need to find a way that people will read again. And then that way, people will slow down. Right. Absolutely. All right. So there's a chapter in here called, let me see what it's called. The heart and soul of reflection. Talk to us about what you mean by that and what that chapter is all about. Yeah, that chapter was a lot of fun to write. And in fact, uh, some folks might be interested to know that, uh, uh, it starts off with a, uh, a, a little bit of a Buddhist reflection. And uh, the, it, basically all that was to is to speak to the, you know, the, the calmness and the reflectivity that we have in our hearts and our minds. When we get outdoors, slow down, breathe. That's their mantra. Breathe. Get relaxed. F- focus your eyes. Suddenly your ears start to hear again. Even people with uh, lousy hearing like me, uh, you know, I spent uh, 32 or three years in construction and, you know, my ears are never work as well as they do when I'm out in the woods. Uh, there's a part in that chapter about uh, forest bathing, which is an interesting concept. Uh, if, if many people have heard of it, it wouldn't be su- I wouldn't be surprised. And if not many have heard of it, I also wouldn't be surprised. What's it Basically, called? Basically, it's a concept. That, 
forest bathing. Forest bathing. A bathing. Oh, forest bathing. Okay. Yeah. Basically, you take a walk in the woods. It makes you feel better. Yeah. There, there's there's even science behind it. There's it's, it's part of that is in the book. There, uh, I, I'll I'll never pronounce the word right, but uh, there are uh, there is a science behind that trees release uh, a chemical into the air called phytoncides, and I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation of the word, but it basically it uh, it, it was it's a natural immune function of trees to uh, help them fight off pests. And it's something that uh, is good for humans. I mean, we breathe it in. It makes our, it uh, helps. It, it, and this is, uh, it's a little bit conjecture, but there is some science behind it. It's uh, said to uh, help uh, even with uh, our immune system. And it's supposed to last for a while. Basically, the guy who said, let's go take a walk in the woods, knew what he was talking about. Right, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, and when when you say it lasts a while, I I'm a different person when I come back from a hunting trip. I feel like I'm more relaxed. I feel better, not only physically but mentally. I'm sharper, and even just going outside and going on a walk with my kids, I I just feel it's a huge stress relief. So basically, what I'm getting at is, if you're having a stressful day, go take a walk in the woods. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that's, you know, one of the most fun things about writing this book uh, was, you know, it, it does take a little bit of research. It, there, there is a lot of me in it and a lot of my experiences, my stories are in there. But when it came down to, uh, you know, we needed a little bit more. So I, I looked at these things and I researched these things. And there's, uh, there, there's reasons for it that are not only uh, – scientific but you know philosophical mental physical and if, if it's good for a hunter to be out there it's good for anybody to be out there right absolutely absolutely all right now the second or the not the second but the part four of this book the harvest walk us through that that part of course the harvest and i know that uh not all non-hunters out there, which, you know, are some of the folks that we're trying to reach with the book, are, uh, they, they are agree with the use of the term, but it basically is the end result of what we're doing. There's so much more, I said this already, I know, but there's so much more to the hunt than just the kill. There's everything before, during, and after, but the harvest is why we do it. That's the reason why we're out there. And, but I also speak to the fact that we know that we're going to come home empty handed more often than not. We don't, we don't uh, get our quarry every single time we go out there. In fact, I found uh, the Bantu proverb, which I found, which uh, begins that section uh, says specifically, and I couldn't agree with it more. The hunter that always comes home with meat is a thief. And what, what do you think that means? I think that means that you don't come home with meat most of the time. And so if, if you got one guy that's always coming home with meat, he's taking it from somebody else who did get something. <laughs> right? Okay. I that's got it now. I got it. I yeah. got it. 
So he's not necessarily a really good <laughs> hunter. He's just like, man, I gotta, I'm gonna go rob somebody. Yeah, that's right. It just goes to show you, it's not easy what we do. Right. We don't, we don't go out every time and come back with what we want. But we went out, and we were happy we went out. We have no regrets. We're gonna go out again. Be uh, and in spite of the fact that we didn't have success, we're going to do it because we love it. And that's part of the love story of this book. Okay. All right. So for all the hunters who are out there, how much responsibility do you think is on our shoulders for spreading the message of hunting and its benefits to non-hunters? I think it's everybody's responsibility and we should, teach it right from the beginning. I would, I would personally like to see some form of hunting or hunting class, even if it's just, uh, Oh goodness, what's the word? It doesn't have to be actual hunting, but, uh, uh, just, just theory. Uh, the- thank you very much. That's the word theory. If it's just theory in, uh, say maybe around, uh, seventh or eighth grade, because they're about to get into high school. That's about the time they can hunt anyway, or just before the time, uh, many states allow legal youth hunting and, and let's, let's show them, uh, why it is that we do it and that it is an exemplary way of life and how we can have this and have it forever and be at peace with each other as hunters and non-hunters. And if it, and it's the, what we need to do is, uh, trust and hand that mantle over to our youth and they will be the next generation. And, uh, I think, and as you ask, it's up to all hunters to, uh, you know, come in and try to make this, uh, a better show of a way of life. And we can do that in many ways. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So I should have asked this question at the very beginning of the podcast, but what, what was your inspiration into putting this book together? Well, the, the inspiration for this actual idea, believe it or not, everybody's going to turn an eyebrow up. It started in a office building in lower Manhattan down in New York city. Okay. Uh, the, uh, editor, the editor of, uh, the book, he was the one that approached me and he said, we have this idea. And he says, what do you think about it? And I, came right back at him with most of these chapters. I said, it could be this way. I said, if this is what you're looking for, this is what I can do. I said, I'm no expert on any one uh, thing in hunting, but this is what I'm good at. And they had picked me out of a circle of people. And I, and honestly, if I give myself one pat on the back, they picked the right guy because uh, this is what I, this is what I can speak to. This is, this is my expertise is, how to show and help and lead people towards the fact that we are your brothers and sisters in the world. We are the hunting men and women, but we also are your neighbors. We're the guy across the street. We're the guy next to you in the cubicle at work. Uh, so the inspiration, I've had this book in my heart for many years, and I was lucky enough to get offered by a very good man and a very good company to write this project. And that's really where it came from. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So lastly, I want you to 
I want you to plug your book. I mean, why should the listeners of this podcast go out, buy this book and, and read it, give it a chance? Well, I think because it is inclusive, and I know I've used that word over and over again, Dan, but, uh, you know, we want this to uh, reach as many people as possible. We want this to be for the uh, silent majority of the hunters. We, we, want to, we want everyone to know that, you know, there are a lot of folk out here that are uh, in the hunting community that are extremely good people with only the best intentions of my, in mind of having our hunt being something that's accepted by society. And, you know, most non-hunters are kind of on the fence and they, they kind of look at it with a, you know, with maybe kind of a neutral eye. Then we, um, we get the unfortunate times where we have, uh, you know, something goes on social media and as good of intentions as they are to show their success. Now we're in a fight again. This, this book is about, you know, how we can uh, interpret that in a way that makes it better for the hunting community and for the non-hunting community as well. Okay. So when you, you say inclusive, is this, is this book written specifically for a group of people or is it for anybody who wants to read it? It is for anybody that wants to read it. Let me tell you. And, uh, I will say that, uh, of course, the core readership is is certainly our hunting brothers and sisters everywhere. It's it's you know we want to have uh, we want it to shine a light on what we do. We we want to show this in, in a way that that you know that the regular people out there can see it. The regular hunters and fishermen and people who may only be a casual observer of it. And uh, but want to know more about it, and that's one of the best, and that is one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I've been getting from many people in the hunting community and in the non-hunting community is that it does shed a new light on our passion and our way of life. Right, right. Well, I tell you what, Craig, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast. Where can people find this book to if they want to buy it? Uh, right now, it's at uh, brick-and-mortar stores like Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. You can get it on Amazon, uh, Indie Books, I believe it's called. Uh, you can go to my website, craigraleigh.com, and you can find a way to get it there. I also uh, run a Facebook page called Crunch Time Outdoor Living, which uh, has the information on there as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you type it in, I think you'll be able to find it no problem. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We're done. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Craig for coming on and talking about his book, The Hunter's Way. Go out, support this guy, buy his book, support hunting. Period. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time to download. You know, I can't say it enough. Thank you. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Exodus Trail Cameras, Wasp Broadheads. I'm looking to stick one of those into a big buck this year. Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Trail Camera Software, Prime Archery, Ripcord, Aero Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. Guys, please go out and support those 
companies because they support this podcast. And lastly, you know, all the social media. Go check me out on social media. Go to iTunes, leave a review. Go do whatever you need to do to spread the word about this badass podcast. I've had too much coffee today. I need to settle down. And I know go I need to go pick my daughter up from school. So if you're gonna be in a tree this weekend with a huge cold front coming through the Midwest, please. Our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to wear your damn safety harness. Have a good day.